Hi, CityCast listeners. Most of us literally can't picture Houston without roads. But we have no idea what's under all that asphalt, all the secret history buried there. Today, CityCast Nature and History contributor Jaime Gonzalez is talking about the deep history that shapes our commutes. It's Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Hi, May. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a while, and it's great to be with you, Lisa. I am so happy you're back. All right, so Jaime, tell me about your driveway. Yeah, so I think my driveway is a little bit of a window into a world past here in Houston. I grew up in the Aldine area um, in an old farmhouse that was built in the 30s on a pecan orchard. So we had lots of pecans. That, that was great stuff. Oh, but we wow. also had a weird driveway that I didn't know much about. Um, and it was weird to a little kid because it's kind of out of context. The driveway was made up of oyster shells, crushed oyster shells. And at that point, back in the 80s, some of them were pretty still sharp. So we knew to wear <laughs> shoes while playing around the driveway. And it turns out that if you talk to people who've been here a while, it wasn't an unusual thing to have an oyster shell um, driveway or even a road. So it, 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 it was an early indication of how we used these shells all over the place. Okay, this is wild. I remember like, pulling into something like Cap'n Benny's where they serve a lot of oysters on the half shell and the, you know, the parking lot would be paved with shells. But I thought that was just places that had a lot of oysters. This was common in other places. <laughs> I love going to Captain Benny's because it's oyster shells uh-huh. too. Um, yeah. It was very common throughout the Houston area. Um, in fact, the te- Texas legislature didn't ban oyster shell uh harvesting for these big construction projects and big road projects until the early 1970s. Wait, why did they ban it? I thought everything's legal in Texas. <laughs> well, they banned it because it was having a really detrimental impact on the oyster reef and therefore the oyster reef jobs that go along with that oh. in Galveston Bay uh, because they were harvesting tons and tons of oyster shells to make this happen. I saw a reference about the Astrodome, which was you know built in the 60s, where they use 500,000 cubic yards of Galveston Bay oyster shells for the building and for the parking lot. So literally that parking lot over there is sitting on a giant oyster reef. Um, And I found lots of other references to other roads that were shell roads. One uh, that I was fascinated by because it like mixes the ancient and the very Mm -hmm. modern was what we think of as uh, NASA Road 1 where you go to Space Center Houston and go visit the Johnson Space Center, which is so cool and so advanced in so many ways. Well, that was a a narrow oyster road um, for the longest time until NASA started developing that site. Houston's original neighborhood downtown is for everyone and it's poppin'. It's our open-hearted home for our biggest celebrations and our treasured hidden gems. From the world-class theater district to incredible green spaces like Discovery Green, downtown is the place to be. In fact, more people visited downtown Houston last year than the entire population of Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, and San Antonio combined. There's no better time to live downtown than now. From starter apartments to luxury lofts, everyone can take 
take advantage of the arts, business, culture, entertainment, food, and recreation. Now, you might think of downtown as only the heartbeat of Houston's regional economy, which it is, but there's so much more to it, including free events throughout the week with Downtown Houston Plus. From the Market Square Park Farmer's Market every Saturday to Yoga Flow every Wednesday, you can find something to do and eat and watch in Downtown Houston. Learn more at downtownhouston.org. Downtown Houston, get energized and revived. Why were they paving with shells? Like, were oysters that common? Was it cheap? Were these people, had people eaten the oysters out of the shells? <laughs> no, I think if they were just excavating the oyster shells, unless they had like a really, okay. like huge yeah. oyster eating competition. Um, <laughs> it was, it but was, they were just that common? They were super common. I mean, if you look at the, the yeah. ecological record, uh, oyster, oyster reefs were just everywhere in Galveston Bay. They've reduced a lot. And now there's yeah. some restoration efforts happening. But it was really cheap to excavate and move um, and use as road base uh, for uh -huh. places like we've been talking about. They would yeah. mix it with concrete. So if you go to some places in Houston, you'll see it in buildings, mix into buildings for structure. I think it was really cheap and it was abundant. And as the resources started to decline, that's when people started to really get... Um, you know, really concerned about the oysters themselves. And that's when it uh, got outlawed. Wow. Okay. So is this an ancient paving technique or was it just something that Houston started doing in the sixties? Yeah, no, they, uh, they actually started um, this oyster uh, road thing back in the 1800s. Um, and it went way into the 1900s, like I said, up until the early 1970s. The indigenous people that were here for 13,000 years didn't use oysters for, for roads or anything like that. But, you know, you're talking about a span of probably about 100 years where we were using oysters and oyster shells for paving uh, these roads. Um, and it also created a lot of dust. So it wasn't a kind of a, a neutral <laughs> technology, as it were. And every time we pulled into my driveway, you could see a little bit of a dust cloud once they get packed down. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're also, you know, um, it, it, uh -huh. once you put an oyster uh, uh, shell road in or you put oyster shells anywhere, it also, uh, you, you shouldn't want to ever grow anything there again. It's very hard for things to grow back because it changes the soil chemistry too. So, um, you know, I think that it's, it's indicative of the fact that we, like you said in the intro, we're constantly driving on roadways, we're going on bike trails. We're going through parts of the city, like along the bayous, where there are all of these layer upon layers of phantom roads that sit under this stuff. And uh, as you kind of unearth literally some of these places around the city, you start to see, like, what is the progression of these, these roadways? So what are some other examples of that? If I could peel off the concrete and like look down into the history, what would I want to be peeling off and looking at? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think one of the things that I think about is like, as we talked about, like deep ecological time and, and how that helped to make the city that we know. And it, you know, it turns out if you look at, at archaeology, if you look at burial sites and where people were located uh, in prehistory, what you'll find is that a lot of the settlements and a lot of the, the ways that people traverse the area really followed game trails. So 
you know, these large animals uh, that were here like bison, people would follow those trails. They would widen the trails as they used them. Here in the Houston area, oftentimes that meant that our local bayous were huge areas of, of, of activity and movement for, for native peoples and for wildlife. So, you know, in a lot of ways, the Bayou 20s, uh, Greenways 2020, which is such an amazing project of putting trails along bayous, is really kind of formalizing some of these trails <laughs> that indigenous people had been using for centuries or millennia. Oh, so this was where the buffalo roamed. That's right. And then if you look at some places in the U.S., including here in Houston, what you had are game trails that started off that attracted hunters, and those became more formalized trails. And then when the the Spanish came in, they would use and widen those trails. And, and because a lot of those trails and roadways at that point were, were very muddy, what would happen is people would try to stay out of the mud and out of the ruts, and they'd go around. So it widened and widened and widened. And then what we did is we formalized those with paved roads at some point. So there are some local highways that were part of old uh, royal roads the Spanish had, which were based on old uh, hunter trails. Whoa, like what? What are some examples? So a good example, I live now close to OST, which is Old Spanish Trail near the Astrodome. And a lot of people just think that Old Spanish Trail is just kind of a name that uh, somebody put on there. Yeah, it sounds like a developer name. Like a developer name. Like they just yeah. kind of randomly assigned it. And I thought that too for many years. I didn't really think much of it. But I found an old uh, map. And this old map showed the old Spanish trail that ran all the way from Florida through Houston, through parts of historic Texas, off into the southwest and made it all the way to the coast of California. How old is that map? It's from the 1930s. Uh-huh. And what's really cool about it is it shows all the little stops that are made along the way. Um, all these little towns and it gets to Houston and then it goes you know, further west. And as you go kind of further west into Texas, that old Spanish trail actually does pick up some of those old uh, royal roads, the Caminos Reales in central and west Texas. So it is kind of a formation of this layer after layer of transitways. Wow. So I have kind of wondered for a long time, what is an FM road? Like FM 1960. When I got here, I thought that sounded like an oldies radio station. <laughs> like an oldies radio station. Yeah, no, yeah. FM. FM. Uh, so I used to go on FM 1960 in the 1970s when I had some family up in Klein. And at that point, it was like a two-lane road. It was mm -hmm. mostly undeveloped, uh, lots of beautiful pine trees, some farms and things like that, and really kind of indicated where that FM came from. So FM is really farm to market. Um, oh. The Houston area was loaded with what were called truck farms, uh, which are places, smaller farms, families would grow goods and bring them into the, into the city, and they needed reliable transitways, roads. So they created this FM system, this farm to market road. So if you look around the city, what you'll see is it kind of encircles the city. So there's FM 1093, which is what Westheimer becomes as you travel west. There's FM 1960. Um, and so a lot of these FM roads were just, it's an artifact of the fact that Houston was very, very agricultural up until recently. And a lot of these, you know, allowed farmers to come into 
farmers markets like Canino's up on the airline. So, you know, it was um, it was a time where, you know, there were lots of farms um, that were coming in and 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 that it was from everywhere you can think of. Uh, mm-hmm. There were farms around. We talked about this before Rice University. There were farms on what is now the Galleria. Um, so it's not that far back in time where we had this huge agricultural enterprise happening in Harris County. All right. Anything else you want to hit, Jaime? Well, I would just say that as you pass through the city, uh, look for signs of kind of uh, our our past. You know, I was mm-hmm. uh, over the break, I was fortunate enough to go over to Discovery Green. It's like one of my favorite green spaces. And and yeah. if you look at this gorgeous alley of hundred year oaks uh, that are in the park, it's beautiful. And they look like they were planted just for the park, but it turns out that there was a very upscale neighborhood located there back in history. And that alley of oaks was a pathway that led into this upscale neighborhood. Wow. So the neighborhood is gone, but the street remains, the little walkable yeah. pathway lined by oaks. Yeah, so really you're walking with ghosts when you walk through that neighborhood. There's there is a, a, a ghost neighborhood there and you can see just the <laughs> opening to it, which is kind of fascinating. And I just feel like all around the city you're hearing these echoes of this Houston past. Um one of the, the favorite things that I have, this is a, a road, is uh Kobayashi Road. If you go down uh I forty five South. And you wouldn't know where that came from, but it really came from a group of Japanese farmers and agronomists who grew a lot of rice around Webster. So as you go around the city, you'll see Cajun names and you'll see Japanese names and you'll see names of people from all over the planet because that's what Houston became, right? This multinational, international space. And that goes back much earlier than I would have guessed. That's right. So the, the person Kobayashi actually came over in the very early 1900s with his family. So, Wow. All right. This gives me a ton to think about. Thank you, Jaime. Yeah. Uh, thank you for, for having me back. And we're excited about discovering all the things about Houston. That was Jaime Gonzalez. Now, I am here with producer Carly on Jones. Carly, what is going on in the Houston news today? Hey, Lisa. It's a new year, and I feel like it's a good time to try to find some new food options. And luckily, Houston Chronicle food critic Allison Cook just released a new list of the top 10 best new restaurants in the city. The list includes spots like Navy Blue, Burger Bodega, and Louis Italian American, which all sound great. Now, there's more options on the list, including a couple honorable mentions to diversify your palate. We'll have a link to the articles in the show notes, just in case you want to check any of these options out. That's it for our show today. And that is also it for me, Lisa Gray, as the host of CityCast Houston. I have taken another job at the Houston Chronicle. I'm going to be the op-ed editor there. And as excited as I am about that, y'all, I am going to miss CityCast. This is a great company, and this has been a dream job. So, If you think you would be a good host of CityCast Houston, I seriously encourage you to check out the job listing in our show notes. The very best thing about this job is our listeners, our audience. Y'all, you have been 
so smart and so funny, so civically engaged. It has been a huge delight to hang out with you. And I am going to miss you. So I won't be back tomorrow, but CityCast will. Y'all tune in. Bye.